Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Danny. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm going to be doing um, our continuing to preach a message in the Beatitude series that we've been going on through. And after a handful of weeks, we only have, including today, one, two, three, four weeks left in the Beatitudes. And then that'll be summer. Hopefully by then it'll be warm um, because it doesn't seem like that pace is getting there yet. Uh, And we'll be entering into a new series at our church. But I hope that you have been enjoying the series on the Beatitudes. And today uh, we're going to be doing verse 8. And I am going to read from the very beginning of the Beatitudes and then go through what we're going to be reading today. Uh, on the slides, I only have the first or the one that we're going to end on in verse 8, but if you want to open your Bibles, you can read along with me or um, you can just listen as I read. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, And he opened up his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for uh, just as Bo just prayed that we get to meet here and to be a family of God together and that we get to kind of explore your scriptures and explore um, who you are. And we, wanna, we want our knowledge of God to deepen, to widen, to get more genuine, to get more intimate, and especially, Father, for us to feel the fullness of joy in knowing you. I pray that every Sunday... Every sermon that we listen to, every Bible study, every small group or large group, every retreat, that it was all just be building blocks that continue to stack and that our joy would grow deeper and wider and further. Because the more we clearly see your face, Lord, we believe that we will experience a greater, greater joy. So would this, mor- this morning just be a part of that? And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the late 90s, uh, I think it was 1990, I want to say 8 or 1997, um, uh, a British worship leader by the name of Matt Redman, who many of you know, or at least you probably know a lot of his songs, was attending a church and he was worship leading there and the church was really growing and expanding. Um, and they found, or the, the pastor found a problem that he noticed that because of the hype and the excitement, because of, you know, like the great production, they had a professional worship leader who was pumping out CDs. And, you know, I don't know if they had a fog machine and lights, but they probably did. And they just had all this exciting stuff going on. Um, and he started to feel in his heart, I wonder if all this stuff is getting in the way of our worship. That people are flocking to our church because of our glitz and glamour, because of our fame, because of our stature, um, because of our reputation versus coming because of a good God. 
because of God's reputation, because of his fame, because of his splendor and majesty, because people want to love on him. And so the senior pastor made a bold decision, and he took away everything, stripped the instruments, stripped the, uh, the, the worship team out, and was just like, the announcement was next Sunday, and for who knows how long, you're going to come with your body and with your Bible, and that's it. And so Matt, who his job was to get paid to lead the music program, he just sat in the pew with his Bible, and they just sang with their voices, no instruments. During this time, he wrote a song that many of us know by heart um, and that we sing very often called The Heart of Worship. And, and many of you will recognize the first line that says, when the music fades and all is stripped away. That was him literally penning his experience at his church. They literally faded the music, stripped away everything, and it was his uh, experience with the Lord at that time and in the, church, in the worship of the church that led him to write that song. In the pre-chorus of the song, and we've, some of you could, we could sing it right now without even the lyrics on the screen. It, write, uh, it reads, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I love this line, and I, and I love the song too, because it just kind of brings us back to the 101 foundations of Christianity. I have this tendency to, like, if I feel like I'm growing in Christ, if I'm maturing as a Christian, is my theology expanding? Did I read enough books? Did I check off enough, enough things in, in, uh, in continuing education and conferences that I, that I attended? Can I flip through the Bible and can I know or memorize enough passages or know how to explain them in a small group situation? And that's how I kind of equate my maturity. But I, time and time again, I realize it's not so much of that stuff. Yeah, that's important and we should be you know, striving for that in a certain extent. But really, the 101, the core, is something that I need to learn over and over and over and over again. And that's, you're looking into my heart. That our faith isn't primarily about the external actions and all the outside stuff. It's about inside. You're looking into my heart. I love this beatitude, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Because it's a reminder for me, go, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to what God's perspective is, not man's. And let's look at the heart matter, the heart situation, the purity of the heart. He could have easily said, blessed are those who do good works, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who encourage others with their lips and with their words, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who have a fullness in obedience, for they shall see God. But no, Jesus says in this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. Just as the song says, he's looking into our hearts. And this is just like the, the joy that I get to have this Sunday and just talking about like the basics and just say, what is the status of our hearts and are we remembering? And can we just remember right now? It's about here. It's about what's going inside of our hearts not so much focusing on every little thing that we do externally. But they are really intertwined, aren't they? So let's look at it like a def definition of pure in heart. So one is an internal integrity that shows itself through one's actions. An internal integrity that shows itself through one's actions. And another definition that's just, you know, another way of saying the same thing. Honoring the Lord consistently in both public and private life. So these are good definitions of purity of heart that, that I found. Internal integrity that comes out through actions, honoring the Lord consistency in both public and private life. Basically talking about my internal and my external life matching. And 
It doesn't stop there, though. I want to make sure that we're not just talking about that matching because my internal state could be neutrality or could be passivity or apathy. And if my internal apathetic self matches with my external apathetic self, I'm probably not pure in heart, right? Dragging my feet everywhere I go. But what he's talking about is that integrity is this devotion to God within our hearts and souls that bubbles out into a good works unto others, into fruit, into loving, into forgiving. Man, this thing is really bothering me. Sorry, I'm going to move this back. Come on, June. Uh, uh, I love you, don't worry. Um, this ex- internal integrity that's bubbling out of good works, this, this devotion, this love for Jesus inside our hearts, the status of our hearts, that then and only then starts just pumping out good works in this world. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says purity of heart. The second half of the verse reads, for they shall see God. And like all the Beatitudes, if, if you've been catching on so far and will continue to do, it's one half that talks about our present, this call to a present living that talks about our future. So this, our great future, this eternal reality. So it's what we should do now or a characteristic, blessed is someone who is like, fill in the blank, for and something that talks about an eternal future. So he's saying for those who are pure in heart, will see God. How we live today is going to affect my long-term forever tomorrow, my eternal tomorrow. And this we're going to unpack a little bit further later in the message. So we can know, uh, all right, so the beatitude means this. Blessed are the pure in heart. We have the definition. It's talking about if if we are that way, we'll see God face to face in the future when either Jesus comes back or when we die. But how do I know that's me? How do we really even measure that? Am I growing in purity of heart or not? John Newton, um, he is a famous person, and he's most famous for writing a particular hymn. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? What? Amazing Grace. Only Pastor Bill knows, so it didn't really count. Uh, so John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, right? Chris Tomlin didn't write Amazing Grace. It was, it was John Newton. Just, just, you know, just putting that out there. Um, and he's most famous for writing Amazing Grace for, for good reason. The song will forever exist in the church, and it's awesome. But he also wrote a number of other hymns, another, a number of other poems, um, was a preacher, and had a lot of other writings. And there's this one hymn that I just want to show one stanza of, and even just kind of pick apart what he's saying in this stanza uh, that, to me, tells me this is purity of heart. This is what it, it looks like. The title of the, the hymn is, We Were Sinners Once As You Are. And look up on the screen, and we're going to just go through the stanza. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. One more time. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. Let's look at these first few, this first half. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. Essentially, in a nutshell, what John Newton's writing is, my, what I want to do and what I should do 
is and is, was and probably is a lot of times in our life at odds. What I want to do based upon what my flesh or just purely my desire tells me and what God or what my small group leader or what scripture or what, or what a sermon told me once I ought to do, it becomes at odds and they clash. They were once opposite before. My pleasure, my deep desire, what I want in my life, what I want to eat, do, read, accept, like talk, everything, all of my life, my pleasure, what I want, and what I should do, what I ought to do, they're opposites. But since we have seen his beauty, not since I attended church more often, not since I started reading the scripture more and legalistically, not since I mustered up enough willpower to transform, since we have seen his beauty, they are joined to part no more. Purity in the heart to me looks like when what we want to do and what we ought to do are exactly the same thing. What we should do based upon what scripture and the, the will of the Lord asks of us and what you want so badly is exactly the same. He goes on to write, I love this, these words, highest pleasure. It is our highest pleasure. Not it is your responsibility. It is what you should do. Stop being a bad Christian. No, it is our, it's, it's, you don't need to tell me to do this. I want to more than anything. It's my highest pleasure to love him beyond measure and serve him with my all. Purity of heart. We know that we're transforming in this way. In my opinion, when those things start intertwining, when what I want to do and what I ought to do starts inching a little bit closer and closer together. And for sure, for the, all of our lives, we'll always have some sort of conflict, some sort of like, oh, like you got to muster a little bit strength because one's pulling us in a direction over the other. But when we see his beauty, they get joined in part no more. This beatitude is very closely tied. It, it parallels with a psalm, uh, Psalm 24, that I'd like to invite you guys to read along with me or to look up on the screen. Psalm 24, the psalmist writes, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. I want to particularly look at verse 6. Such is the generation of who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And this is kind of what I want us to take home, is to seek his face. What I do not want a single person to walk out and to, say, and to be like, the application of the sermon today is I need to be more pure. And I'm like, oh, all these bad things in my life and I need to cleanse myself inside and out. But no, to seek his face. If you remember anything, remember verse 6 in Psalm 24. Seek the face of God of Jacob. Desire to walk with him. Desire to be with him, to know more of him. To understand his word a little bit deeper so that you could know him more. To think about him more throughout the day. And to let our actions be born out of a desire to please our Heavenly Father. 
I don't know if you're like me, but I shoot myself in the foot with my faith all the time. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go on this journey, and then I take out my pistol, and I boom, and I shoot myself so that I can't move. And what I do is I often, maybe you're like me, I often want to be, I want to not be impure more than I want to be, want to be pure. You follow me? I put my attention and my effort into not being bad, not being impure, and that, it, it sounds like the same thing, but it's not. That has a deeper desire in my soul than my wanting to be pure. And there's a difference. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference in what this does to help us along the journey of growing in purity of heart when what I want to do and what I ought to do become one. At the gym that I, I, I work at and, and attend, uh, we do a lot of uh, weightlifting that involves holding something in your hands and pressing it over your head. It could be a barbell, dumbbells, kettlebells, balls, like whatever, box, anything. We just toss things over our heads. We pick things up and we put them down, right? And, and because of that, a lot of people talk about having wrist pain. And so a lot of our clients are like, oh, like, yeah, my wrists are a little funny. And then they, without talking to any of the coaches who can help them, figure this problem out, they kind of go off on their own and they decide, oh, you know what it is? My wrists are too tight. And so they're like Google and they YouTube wrist stretches. And then the next day I see them and they're like doing wrist rolls and like, you know, leaning on things and like in the corner, like stretching their wrists out and like coming in early and they're, they're doing all this stuff. And then it doesn't go away. They do all the wrist stretches that they want, but for some reason, every time they pick up the bar and they press it overhead, they're like, oh, you know, it just doesn't feel very comfortable. And then they come to the conclusion, ah, it wasn't just my wrist flexibility, it was the support. So they go home and they Amazon and they're like wrist wraps. And the next day they got fancy wrist wraps. And now on Etsy, there's like all these cool ones where you can get your college on it or like a superhero. So people come in with Avengers wrist wraps and they're like, oh, yeah, and they're pressing it overhead. But for some reason... It doesn't feel good. And then they come to talk to us. I'm like, okay, can I see you do it? Here, pick up this bar and push it over your head. And what happens is that so many people are holding the bar, well, not only the bar, but let's just say the bar, wrong. So I want you to imagine, whether it's 5 pounds or 100 or 200 pounds, if I kept holding something like this and 200 pounds keeps pulling down on my wrist, I could be as flexible as I want. I could buy $500 wrist wraps and ain't nothing going to change because I got 200 pounds constantly pressing down on my wrist. So then we go up to them and just whoop and pick up their elbow and say, you need that bar to rest on your shoulder. You're holding the bar wrong. And then it takes it even further that, well, why am I holding the bar? I'm like, well, I don't know. But it looks like it's either your shoulders are really immobile or that your lats are too tight. So every time you want to pick up your elbow, your lat is pulling it down so you can't. So you can do all the wrist wraps and you can do all these, you know, raving club moves all you want. But it's not going to change anything. You're going to have wrist pain forever. What you need to do is you need to say, you need to fix the way you're holding the bar. You need to get your shoulder more mobile by coming in early and doing mobility on your shoulder. And you need to loosen up this tight lat that's pulling you. Otherwise, you're just going to be popping Advil for the rest of your life. When I think about my faith and when I think about purity of heart, usually I'm like that person. I think, okay, uh, you know, I curse too much. My lips are impure. And that's my wrist. And I'm like, man, 
Like every time I curse, I'm going to put a dollar in a jar. Every time I curse, I'm going to punch myself in the arm. Every time I curse, I need to buy somebody, I need to donate money. And I, and I come up with these things where I'm just staring at my wrist. It's the cursing. I need to rid myself of the cursing. But when I step back, it's not the cursing. It's not just that I need to put a dollar in a jar. I'm holding the whole bar wrong. I'm turning my faith into a thing of just this one area of pain. Versus thinking, man, maybe my spiritual disciplines are out of whack. Maybe my shoulder mobility is that I just don't even pray anymore. Maybe my, my lats being tight is keeping me from lifting my elbow up. And what it is, is it's blocking me is that I, I stopped being in community. I've isolated myself, so I can't even receive and feed off of other people around me. And that's what I mean by I shoot myself in the foot. I start only looking at the problem, and I'm trying to fix the problem. And why can't I get rid of this problem? Let me tell you something that is not an exaggeration because I'm, you know, speaking in public. I have a zero, well, I have a zero for I don't know how many win-to-loss record of defeating sin when I'm just buying wrist wraps. Zero. Maybe you guys feel the same way as me. We have, you know, problems with substance abuse, problems with sexual sin, problems with cursing, problems with bitterness towards others, problems with not being able to forgive people. And we can focus on it all. Maybe you've done it. I haven't. I have a zero for I don't know how many times record, literally, for overcoming. I've never once grown more pure in heart when I just am like, oh, I need to do wrist stretches. The times that I've started receiving victory, the times where I look at my future and I'm like, remember when I used to do those sins back there that I don't even care about anymore? It's when I look at my whole body. It's when I step back and I think, it's not just about the sin. It's that my heart is in a funky place. It's in that I'm turned my faith into a list of do's and don't do's versus my faith being a relationship with Jesus. And when I wake up every morning, not just being guilty about the bad thing that I did, but being like, all right, another day to walk with Christ. That's when I receive victory. That's when this purity of heart road starts to just take place. And when we're starting to pave it, and it's getting longer and longer. And when this division between what I ought to do, what Jesus tells me, but what I want to do more than anything, starts inching closer and closer together until they are joined to part no more. It's when I look at faith as a relationship with Christ. And when all these things, when my scripture reading starts, you know, stretching it out a little bit more, and when I start praying more, then all of a sudden the wrist pain is gone. What happened? It's not magic. It's when we see his beauty, then they are joined to part no more. You know, when we sing uh, gospel songs and uh, it makes it really easy for the preacher. You know, like, well, I, don't, I, I hope you guys are feeling it. I know that sometimes like, the songs can be perfect and we might not feel it, but I hope you are feeling these songs. Uh, and I thank the, the worship team for, for leading us in, this, in this, these words, right? Like, oh, the rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out for me, right? And that's the, that's the revelation. God's love was poured out to me. And what's the response? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In grace alone. I worked my fingers down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone. But Jesus, you paid my debt. I was in darkness all of my life, but you made me see. 
I swore, I swore I knew the way of my own, but spirit, you moved in me. You touched a sleeping spirit, a darkened heart, but light of Christ was shown into it. This is the stuff that, like, makes it really easy for me to come up and preach. And let me show you something that uh, in, in, oops, all the way, in, in Psalm 24, the question that the psalmist asks in verse 3 is, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? And again, if you're like me, if you have that issue, I think, not me. If you were to ask me, are you pure in heart, Danny? I would say, no. I know the impurities of my heart. I know that my heart things wants things other than God. I know that oftentimes I have this conflict between what I want to do and what I ought to do, and I do what I want to do. It's not me. It's Jesus. Jesus could have, is, has ascended the hill of the Lord, is standing, is sitting at the right hand of God in his holy place. Jesus was the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false or swear deceitfully. Jesus is the one who has received the great blessing of the Heavenly Father, and he is righteous. Jesus, throughout his entire ministry and his life on earth, he sought the face of his Father. He did everything unto his will. Jesus did it perfectly. And here's what seems like the contradiction, but what like these songs teach us and what this psalm teaches, what the gospel teaches, what Christianity 101 teaches us, is that it's not a contradiction, it's gospel, like, Hallelujahs to be able to say, actually, that is me. Because of what Jesus did, because he obeyed this perfectly, we can now say that of ourselves. That's the beautiful part that not by works and I could do nothing, I could work my fingers to the bone, but nothing would change my eternal status. But you, by your grace and your grace alone, saved me. And it wasn't just a salvation, but an exaltation, a pouring out of righteousness onto you. A place of status and where you get to bear the inheritance that Jesus does. And it's only when we get to that place, when we see how beautiful that the gospel message is and what that means for your standing. If you know how wretched of a sinner you are like me, this stuff is like hallelujah. And when I see that beauty... When I see the precious blood of Christ in my life, that literally everything of my own actions was damning to me, but that God says, by grace and grace alone, I can sit here on a Sunday and say, I was an orphan, but you have adopted me into your family. And now I'm a son. When we seek his face and we gaze upon his beauty, then church, we will grow in our purity of heart. And the awesome part is, in the eternal world, that's already been done. So it's still not going to be by your works. It's going to be because of his great good news. You know, we often turn our faith into this battle. And, and, and I, I, I'm talking about me, right? I do this all the time. Like, was I good enough? Like, I'm a pastor, too. Like, people are looking up to you. And am I, am, I, am I doing all these right things? And I completely turn the attention to all the wrong things. 
Versus waking up in the morning and being like, Jesus died for me. I'm a son and a child of God. And that just leads me into just just gazing and just like laser-like, just staring at Christ and his blessing and being a recipient of that. And then all of a sudden, my life starts getting changed. All of a sudden, I start getting more pure. All of a sudden, I start getting more forgiving and loving And all the do's and do's and don'ts start easily falling into place. Not because I'm trying so hard to do them, but because I'm trying so hard to look at Jesus. All the oughts and the wants become beautifully one. And he writes, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And I hope that you remember and you constantly remind yourself, especially when you're hard on yourself is that Jesus was pure in heart and he stands before the Father as a witness for you. If you have confessed him and with your lips and you believe in your heart that he is your savior, that there's nothing that you could have done to atone for your own sin, but it was purely the blood of Christ, you're that person. And every week when we go through the Beatitudes and every week when you go backwards and read, blessed are this person who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are whatever. It's not just, a, oh, that's not me. But all of us come to this glorious conclusion, because that was Jesus, it's me. You're the pure in heart. You're going to see God. So as we leave this place, let's not flip the, the, the application switch again of how we can figure out good works better. Let's flip the switch. Actually, let's create it, the switch, and, and invest in it and build it of wanting to seek his face. Verse 6 in Psalm 24. Seek the face of God of Jacob. Look at Jesus. Look deeply, deeply into him. And we will start growing purity in heart. Would you bow uh, in prayer with me? God, we're grateful that we can come here and we can sing songs that, that, that tell us about who Jesus is and what he did and who we are because of what he did. We thank you that you remind us of this glorious truth that it is all Christ's righteousness and that his blood Because of his blood and only his blood, Lord, we have been made pure. And that nothing can take that away. Nothing can take that away. God, I pray that you would help us every morning. Instead of thinking about the desire to avoid impurity, that we would wake up and want to be pure because our Savior Jesus was so beautifully pure. Because he showed us such a perfect example and that we want to follow that because we're looking deeply, intently into him. I pray that we would remember that our faith is, is this outpouring of good works, but only because of where our hearts are at with you. And I pray for encouragement as well, Lord. I pray that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, would always be the loudest voice, loudest song, biggest image inside of us. 
that nothing would take that away. But the glory of Jesus Christ and everything that he is and all of his majesty and beauty would be before our eyes and would be on our hearts and would therefore be praises on our lips for all of our days. You are the one who is pure in heart. And Father, we want to be just like you. Help us to step back and to see our whole life and what it means to really walk with Jesus. And I pray that that would start to bear much fruit here at Cornerstone. That purity in our heart would start to bear lots and lots of fruit here. What else can we do but to say thank you for your great sacrifice? Thank you for your great obedience to your Father. Thank you that you were in, in the heavens and you came down to be born in such a humble way. Thank you that in the Garden of Gethsemane, you prayed, not my will, but yours. And thank you that although we, <laughs> to say that we don't deserve it is an understatement, although that may be true. Thank you that you call us son, you call us daughter. And you give us an inheritance of the richest, richest blessing. So God, take great delight in us as everything that we should do starts becoming everything that we want to do and that becomes our greatest, greatest pleasure. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.